If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that if you want more out of life, there is another way. What if there was a way you didn't know about? Whether you're lacking momentum in your business, getting the same results, you're in year out, you don't have a supportive environment, people aren't encouraging you to live your dream, or you're tired of not living into your gifts, you're doing something that's unfulfilling, but you want a life that excites you, I know I can help. All you have to do is get on a call with somebody from my team that's going to help you understand the strategies and tactics of success. Go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and we're going to help you rock your money and your life. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead, rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and let's get started today. All right, welcome to another session of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. And I'll tell you what, I've been doing this for a while, but I feel like I'm getting, you know, these these guests that are fascinating and they're also incredibly talented and skilled and bringing huge value to the Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. And the reason is this, is that if you're going to have an epic life, would you agree with me that winning the money game is important? That talking to people that are really good at that segment of their life is really important people that are passionate so michelle seiler tucker is the founder and ceo of seller tucker incorporated she holds the m and a m i mergers and acquisition mastery intermediary title as well as a certified mergers and acquisitions professional and certified senior business analyst michelle also owns many other businesses like i do because when she works with people She sees these opportunities to partner with and to help scale their businesses. And so we hit it off in that regard, had a lot of synergy. As a 20-year-old veteran in the M&A industry, she's regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Now, if that's something that you have not, you know, taken a dive into, you're going to absolutely freaking love this conversation. Again, normally I go for 20, 25 minutes, but this one went way over because the, the she was just dropping bombs. She's got a new book coming out um, that is going to be off the rails epic that um, that she has uh, got all these bonuses that go with that are really, really cool. Her and her firm have sold over a thousand businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable, remarkable track record of success. Her passion is saving America's economy, one small business at a time from going out of business. And one of her favorite quotes is to say that it's hard to read the label from the inside of a bottle. Sometimes you need an outsider's perspective to read the address, the label warnings that are prevalent in your business. And I like to say to people is the level of thinking got you where you are isn't going to get you to where you want to go. And therefore, you know, having somebody else's perspective helps you do a better job of um, making the right choices to succeed. So she is going to take you through the six P's in her book, Exit Rich, 
And I think you're going to find it massively valuable if you're a small operator, if you're thinking of becoming an entrepreneur, or if you're running a business and you want to scale that and grow that, um, you're absolutely going to want to get this book. One of my most enjoyable conversations with her um, from all my podcasts, just from the sense that when it comes to this particular field, you can tell she's totally, totally rich in the understanding of it. So let's get to my conversation with Michelle. So welcome to a session of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. We have the founder and CEO of Siler Tucker Incorporated, Michelle, with us. Michelle, it is an honor to have. I know you are super busy. And just to have you for a short period of time here to chit chat about business and how to get into business and how to be successful in business is a pleasure. So thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So what makes it, what, how did you get into mergers and acquisitions? I always joked with a buddy of mine that that would be a great place to go because it sounds so sexy and so involved. Tell me a little bit about how you got into that. It sounds sexy. There's nothing sexy about it. <laughs> Everybody thinks it's sexy. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always owned many different businesses. I uh, came, I also got stuck kind of in corporate America working for Xerox, but then I left Xerox, transitioned into franchise sales, franchise um, development, consulting, and my buyers kept asking me, do you have an existing business? And I said, no, we, you know, I only have franchises. I was also partners um, with a franchisor and area developers in many different states. And I said, no, I only have new franchisees. So I kept saying, no, no, no. And I don't like to say no. I like to say yes, yes, yes. So I said, you know, why don't I, why don't I start an M&A firm? How hard can it be? How much harder can it be to sell existing businesses and is franchises? So that's how I really started my mergers and acquisitions firm. That makes a lot of sense. I have two questions for you there. First of all, which franchises did you sell? And then secondly, I want to talk about what was the um, avatar or the type of person that wanted to buy a system? I've sold so many franchises. I probably can't even begin to tell you from Subway to Quiznos to Baskin Robbins to bigger to bigger ones to some franchisors who I've got to um, remain silent about because it's still proprietary. Um, but yeah, so, and, and then I was a partner with one franchisor, which I'd rather not disclose because I ended up, um, having him buy me out when they didn't want me to, because I realized very quickly that our values did not align. <laughs> okay. And then, so what kind of person is, is buying a franchise? Is it somebody that wants a proven system? Is it somebody that has capital? They're bored. Give us a couple of archetypes. Sure. So it's for, for a brand new franchise or even an existing franchise It's typically somebody leaving corporate America, you know, somebody that's not really entrepreneur, you know, wants a cookie cutter formula, wants training systems that that's typically your buyer of a franchise. Um, and it's also an attorney, a doctor, you know, somebody that's looking for uh, reoccurring, well, not really reoccurring, but um, additional revenue streams. And that's really a big mistake. You know, I've had so many attorneys and doctor friends of mine call me and say, Michelle, I bought this, you know, smoothie franchise or this ice cream franchise and employees are not showing up. Everybody's stealing from me. Now I got to leave my law practice to go run this franchise. So uh, my, my, 
advice is always don't do that. You know, don't you're a lawyer or a doctor. I mean, align with yourself so you can help them add congruent passive revenue streams versus going and buying a franchise where you're dependent upon people. So this this podcast, Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life, was created because I feel like 95% of people don't get the money game right. They, you know, trade time for money. And like you pointed out, you get somebody that has money, the doctors and the lawyers, et cetera, and they think that they can now run this business on the side very easily, but they don't understand the skill set required in order to operate a business, hiring, training, discovering talent, motivating, inspiring, running meetings, holding people accountable, reading, reading financial statements, et cetera. So how could you describe to me somebody that's really good at doing something like that? What are some of the things that they bring to the table? Well, I think, you know, entrepreneurs like to think that they're good at all that stuff. <laughs> and everything that you just mentioned, I think they're good at maybe some of that, but they're not always good at all of that. And so I always work with my clients based upon what I call the six P's that I refer to in my book, Exit Rich. And the six P's, you know, really, we really work with an owner to identify their strengths, hire their weaknesses. And the first P in the six P's is people, you know, hire the right people, have the right people in the right positions and ask the who question, you know, who does with marketing, accounting, legal, you know, manufacturing, transportation, logistics, et cetera. Um, and the bottom line is you should never be next to the who. <laughs> so I work with my clients to really, like I said, focus on their strengths, hire their weaknesses and create a business that works for them rather than working for it. Yeah, I love that. I think um, a lot of young entrepreneurs try to wear all the hats or they do wear all the hats. Even the old entrepreneurs. <laughs> and then they have trouble training. So they end up hiring the wrong people then taking the job back and developing a negative attitude that nobody can do it like them. So yeah, all maybe, of that is true. Maybe, <laughs> would, would you go like to go maybe through the six fees that might be valuable for the listeners? Sure. Um, so the first thing we just talked about is people. One of the number one reasons, you know, Steve Forbes says that 80% of businesses won't sell. So eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. And the number one reason for that is because business owners really haven't planned their exit. They don't think about selling until a catastrophic event occurs, you know, whether that's health issues, divorce, partner disputes, death, or COVID. And that's the worst time to sell your company because that's when your business is typically turning down, not up. So we do work with our clients to develop what I call the GPS exit model that we talk about extensively in, in Exit Rich. Um, and then once we get them to plan that GPS exit model, then we work with them to build the six P's. So the number one P is people. The second reason that businesses don't sell is because the business is a thousand percent dependent upon the owner. I had a dental, a, a dentist that came to me a couple months ago and wants to sell his dental practice. Been in business 45 years. One dentist, three hygienists. And I said, well, we can sell your business, but we're going to tie the price. The price is going to be attached to you staying for at least two to three years. And he said, Michelle, I'm not staying. I'm tired. I'm burned out. And I'm like, well, too bad. Because <laughs> when you leave, the patients leave. And if you're not willing to stay, there's nothing to sell. So people is number one. Number two is product. You know, product is your industry, your service. You got to ask yourself, is your industry product on the way up or on the way out? Is it thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon or a Blockbuster? And unfortunately, many industries that were, were, were thriving are now dying because of the pandemic and then vice versa. So 
even if you're in a dying industry, that doesn't mean you just pack up, go home and curl up into a fetal position. <laughs> that means that you really got to align yourself with an expert, rather it be you rock or rather it be me and really ask those transformational questions. You know, Amazon did this back in the nineties. Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? And I said, Oh, we're in a book selling business. And then they asked themselves, what did we do really, really well, better than anybody else, better than anybody else. And they said, we do fulfillment really well. And then the, th the third question, the most obvious question is what business should you be in? And Amazon said, oh, ding, ding, ding. We should be, <laughs> we should be in the fulfillment business. Those three transformational questions is what really transformed Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So business owners have to get out of the transactional and really start becoming transformational. That's why they really need to work on their business instead of in their business, because it's only when you're transformational is when you can see true growth. Beautiful, beautiful. Keep on going. This is awesome stuff. <laughs> and then the third P is processes. So processes are kind of like exit strategy. You know, most business owners don't think about an exit strategy or processes until something bad happens. We were selling a manufacturing plant and one of the employees got hurt on the floor it's a catastrophic event. So there's lawsuits piling up. He's probably going to end up filing bankruptcy and it's not going to be sellable. And he said, Michelle, we need a health and safety process. And I go, you think <laughs> you really needed that before this happened. So processes really need to be designed from day one of buying or starting a business. And Rock, most business owners get this wrong. Most business owners design their processes around their own agenda, not around the customer experience. I'll give you an example, chiropractors. And I'm not picking on chiropractors. My husband's a chiropractor, <laughs> but chiropractors, they always, you know, their schedule's like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, nine to 11. Then they're closed from 11 to, two, to three. Then they're back from three to five and Tuesday's this and this. And nobody can keep up, right? Because they didn't really design their processes, their hours around the customer experience. They designed it around their own agenda. So McDonald's back in the forties, did you ever watch the movie, The Founder? Yes. Great it. movie, right? Totally. So back in the back in the 40s, 50s, remember they had all the sonic type drive ups and McDonald's said, we want to improve fast food. So we want to design processes around a customer experience. We want our customers to get great tasting food that's hot fast. Right. And they went to the tennis courts. Do you remember that? They took yeah. their employees to the tennis courts. They drew out the processes with chalk. They kept bumping into each other. Right. And it took them all day to figure out, you know, who's going to take the order, who's going to toast the buns, cook the burgers. You can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the exact same experience. They never said it was going to be healthy. They never said it was going to be organic. <laughs> so that's what business owners need to do. Have you ever dealt with a business where you had to talk to five, six, seven different people to get your problem resolved? Yes. And you're like, oh, I'll never do business with them again. So business owners need to get this right. They got to design the processes around the customer experience. If you get this wrong and you're not creating what I call wow experiences for your clients, your competitors will. And then your processes should be efficient, productive, and most importantly, well-documented. You know, I can't even begin to tell you, like right now we're selling a business in the $50 million range. Their processes and policy procedure manuals are so outdated. So you want to make sure they're updating. You want to make sure you have SOP checklists, employee handbooks, non-competes, employee contracts. You got to paper everything, you know. You got to get all that data out of the business owner's head onto uh, into the processes, into, you know, the CRM, different software, et cetera. 
Um, the last P, not the last P. Time out, not time there out, yet. Yeah. Too many good things there. Let's not rush through this. Hold on a second. Okay. So this process is part, and I work a lot with entrepreneurs and, and people that are, you know, the small little business where they've got one or two or three people working with them. They're still wearing a lot of hats. They haven't documented anything. They want to scale. They think they're ready. And then we have a conversation around everything you're talking about. And they're like resisting it. They don't value it the way you're talking about it. Yeah. So help me because I struggle with communicating that to people. They're like, well, and they, they, so I explain it like this and tell me if it resonates with you is, okay, you're still the director of sales. You're still out there doing sales. I got that. You're still, you know, HR hiring people. I get that. Now there's a thing called a hat, the CEO hat. You're not wearing that hat. You're not coming out and working on the processes because you're so much in the weeds. You've got to spend five hours a week, 10 hours a week, building those systems, documenting things, but they keep on putting it off. How do you handle that? Yeah, so that's a very good question. And you know, have you ever watched um, The Prophet with Marcus Lemonis? I have not, but I'm going to put so it on you my- should, You should watch that because <laughs> Marcus Lemonis always butts heads with the owners. Just what you said, you know, he tells them what to do, what they should be doing, that they should be the CEO, that they shouldn't be doing this, they should be doing that. And they're always butting heads with him, always butting heads. They never listen to him. And um, I've had the same problem sometimes. You know, I partner with business owners. I don't just sell businesses. I invest right. money, time, energy and um, partner with business owners. And what I have found throughout the years, you know, there's a couple of things here, but what I have found throughout the years is that you can only grow the owner. You can only grow the business as much as you can grow the owner. Yes. You have to grow the owner. And that could be through different um, courses. That can be through different podcasts or different, you know, um, like Bob Proctor listening to different, you know, experts, et cetera, books you read, but you'll never grow the business beyond what you can grow the owner. That's number one. Number two, entrepreneurs apply the worst process people ever. I don't think they should be the ones doing processes. I think that, again, it's focus on your strengths. If their strength is sales, let them sell. Right. If their strength, you know, yes, they have to be that CEO. So at some point, they're going to have to get out of sales. But I don't think their strength is processes. So get an integrator, you know. Yep. So the vision, this, the, the owner is the CEO, and that's the visionary, whereas you need an integrator to integrate the processes, to integrate it in each department, hold everybody accountable. I never think the owner is the best person for that in most cases. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And a lot of times they're, um, they're not ready to scale. They're still thinking with the small budget and wanting to save versus add talent that can really help them scale and, and expand the vision. So I agree with that. Okay, so what's the next P? So the next P, so this is the highest multiple. This is the highest value driver. This can take you from a 5X to a 7X or an 8X or a 10X. So businesses, let me just give you a crash course really quickly on evaluations. I'm not going to get deep in evaluations, but businesses under a million dollars in EBITDA, EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, typically trade between anywhere from two to four. Businesses over a million in EBITDA typically trade for five and up. 
So the goal is to get your EBITDA to over a, a million, number one. Number two, build these proprietary assets. So there's six pillars on proprietary. The other two P's are quick. So this takes me a little bit longer. Um, number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your business for as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? No. <laughs> so the, the largest brand, the most valuable brand in the world is, do you know? Uh, Nike, uh, Coca-Cola, uh, McDonald's, What's Apple. Okay. Apple. <laughs> Apple is the most valuable brand of all. So Apple is worth $249 billion. That's without cash flow. That's without real estate, accounts receivables, inventory, $249 billion. So build your brand, you'll build your exit. Okay, you'll build the value of your exit. Trademarks are huge, but you got to make sure that you get the right trademarks. Let me explain. So let's say you're in Arizona, right? Somebody um, sets up a business in Arizona. They go to the state of Arizona. They get a trademark for their company name, but they never check the federal database. So you can be in business five, six, seven, ten years, and all of a sudden receive a cease and desist letter in the mail, and you got to stop using that company name. And yes, you can hire an attorney. Yes, you can throw a bunch of money at it, but you'll probably lose. So go and spend the fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars and protect your company name, your podcast, your podcast should also have a federal trademark. Anything that's your USP, unique selling proposition. Um, like I have the ST6P, it's the STGPS exit model. I'm selling a couple of companies right now that have exclusive products that they have federal trademarks for their products. And each grocery store chain has that exclusive, exclusive product. So buyers will pay more money for proprietary. They'll pay more money for those trademarks. They'll pay more money for those relationships with those grocery stores. Um, patents. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, every single investor always asks the same question. Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility patent? Many times they'll say, I'll give you an offer contingent upon the patent. Hmm contracts, manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts, vendor contracts, exclusive contracts, franchisors that have franchisees. Client contracts are the most valuable, especially the ones that have reoccurring revenue or a subscription model. Here's the caveat to contracts. Most business owners, 99.9% .9 of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. Most business owners don't have the two cents of transferability clause. I once had a franchisor sell, and I didn't handle the sale because <laughs> if I did, I, this would have never happened. Franchisor sold to a private equity group. Private equity group did their due diligence. They had like 1,500 franchisees. They never, ever looked at the contracts to make sure they're transferable. Only two out of 1,500 actually transferred because they didn't like the private equity group. They didn't like the people. And they ended up going out of business, filing bankruptcy, and they sued the entire legal team. So you got to have that two sentence transferability clause, because if your clients that those franchisees were not going to sign consent to transfer mm -hmm. and they weren't signing new franchise agreements. Okay. Right. Very important. Um, and then databases are huge. You can be losing money and sell your business. If you have a database, like Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging. They weren't just losing money. They were hemorrhaging, but they had a synergy. Buyers buy synergies. There's five different types of buyers. Buyers buy synergies. 
So they had a billion users and that's what Facebook was willing to pay 19 billion for because they knew they could ROI and they could monetize. Celebrity endorsements are big. You know, we've got a client that has Oprah uh, endorsing their products. A competitor strategic will buy that in a New York second because they want to get their products in front of Oprah. And then radio personalities are endorsing your skincare line or your diet or supplement company. They can only endorse one vertical at a time because otherwise they lose credibility. So it's really hard to get those positions. And then online positions, because we sell a lot of e-commerce businesses. So if you've got a number one position on Wayfair or, not, or the top three spots on Wayfair, Amazon, Etsy, these are all what we call intellectual property assets that really drive value and will get you a much higher multiple. Wow. Wow. You know your stuff. You are... <laughs> Boom, boom, boom. Just <laughs> fire hose, fire hose. Yeah, it is a fire hose. I've been told before, Michelle, when you speak at events, just give us like one section of fire hose because <laughs> it's so overwhelming. But, um, and then the fifth P is Patreons. This is your customer database. Most business owners follow the 80 20 rule where 80% of their business comes from 20% of their clients. Well, that's an issue because if you lose a few clients, you're in big trouble. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not sellable because we sold an oil manufacturing company that was appraised for $9.8 million. 65% of the revenue was tied in BP contract. I have 550 buyers. Narrowed it down to 12 LOIs. They were all concerned about customer concentration. And then I find one strategic that has similar products and services. And he said, I'm not concerned at all because he wanted to get his products and services in the BP. He's never been able to get his foot in the door. So he paid $15 million for 70% of the company, which was 126% more than what the business appraised for. Wow. All right. And then the last P is profits, which is what all of us care about. But the reason I put profits last is because profits is never, lack of profits is never the problem. It's never the problem. If you're not making money, that's not your problem. Your problem is you're not operating on one of the other five P's. So lack of profits is never the problem. It's a symptom of not operating on one of the other five P's. Clients come to me all the time and say, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem or no, you have a process problem. Right, right. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, why, why is it that so many operators, um, smaller operators at least, are not that vigilant with their numbers? Then they'll talk like this. They'll go, oh, I did a million dollars last year. And I will say to them, awesome, what's your net? And they'll go, um, I, I don't really know. Have you ever they heard don't that know. Before? They don't know. They don't know. And that's not just yeah. small companies either. <laughs> that's, that's metal sized companies too. Um, and the reason for that is because they're running it as a small business. Like I have a company that's $50 million. It will sell it between 50 to 60. They don't really know their numbers and business owners are so used to living out of their business and running anything, everything through their business, that they have no idea what they're making. So I always tell clients, listen, if you're going to do that, fine, because I normalize the financials and I'll add all that back. I, I'll add back everything but cash. If you're running through cash through your business, that's on you. You're not going to get paid for that cash because that's not legal. <laughs> but what business owners need to do is keep a spreadsheet. So every month, they need to have a detailed spreadsheet of, their cars, their insurance, mills, travel, entertainment, all of this stuff. 
and then you do it by month and then, and then categorize it and then have the final total per year. Because the problem is when we go to do valuation, we've done thousands and thousands of valuations. We've sold over a thousand companies. When we go to do evaluation, we don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you what you're running through your business, but business owners forget. So like I, I'm dealing with this, this medical company right now. And they send us all their bank statements and they told us to go through your bank statements. I'm like, I can go through your bank statements and still not tell you everything that's personal. That's your job. Yeah. So you, if you're going to run number, if you're going to run personals through your business, document it. Right. And then there's another thing that people do and tell me if this rings true to you is let's say they do a million dollars and then they tell you, well, I think I make about 250,000. And you're like, okay, good. So there'll be a three-time multiple, let's say, in value, approximately seven hundred and fifty thousand. Depends upon the synergies. It could be more. Remember, the multiple is really dependent upon where your EBITDA is and what synergies you have. Awesome. Okay. Then you dig a little further and you find out that their mother helps out in the business and they don't pay her. The wife works part time and does some accounting and some paperwork. They don't pay her and they don't take a salary and they're working and so then i go okay if i buy your business who's going to do all that work they go well that's not my problem and i go well i've got to hire three people and it's going to cost me two hundred and twenty thousand dollars to hire those people you're now your profit is thirty thousand which means your business is worth nothing have you ever seen that before i see that all the time yeah i see that all the time so the way we would look at that is if you're the owner and the net is 250 and you're the owner and you're actually getting 250, you know, uh, through distributions, um, then the buyer would have to be a hands-on owner operator because then they can get that 250. Any right. other buyer, we would have to add back everything just like you said. Right. Yeah. And then the, 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 the hands-on purchaser needs to understand that they're buying a job. They're not buying a business. Well, yeah, we tell them that. So, so most of our businesses that we sell are we're selling, there's five different types of buyers. We're, we're selling most of our buyer businesses to pegs, which are private equity firms, strategic competitors, and serial entrepreneurs. Those are the three types. Um, and they're not, they're not going to buy a job. So they would never even consider that business. Right. right. That would have to be a first time buyer that's looking to leave corporate America and buy a job because they feel like it's better than where they are but they really have no idea that they're doing every, they're going to be doing everything. <laughs> right. And they, they yeah. think that they're going to be uh, having a lot of freedom and then they realize that they're free to work all the time. And, right. Uh, very, very yeah, cool. So I see stuff like that all the time, you know, and the other thing that I see is a business owner come to me and say, well, I want $10 million for my business. It's worth $10 million. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, wow, how do you how do you come up with 10 million? Your EBITDA is 100,000 because <laughs> that's what they need to retire. That's what they need to send five girls through college and pay for their weddings. That's what they need to buy their next business. Or that's what they need to get out of debt because they're upside down in debt. So, you know, evaluations, we, like I said, I've been doing we've been doing evaluations for over 20 years and I pretty much have seen it all. I've had people bring me shoe boxes and stuff, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I run a few real estate offices and I've used to be in real estate sales and sometimes I would sell a property and people would go, well, no, I need 560,000. I go, but it's only worth 450. Why do you need 560? Well, I'm moving to San Francisco. Homes are more expensive there. That's what I need. Yeah. I go, well, then why don't you move to Hawaii? They're even more expensive. We'll sell your house for 750 then. You know, like, come on. It doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, we have a whole we have a whole chapter in Exit Rich dedicated to mindset <laughs> and what yeah. I call the seller sanity check. Uh, because we really sit down with our sellers and help them get real. <laughs> because it's not about what you're what what you it's not about what you need. It's about what the value brings to the buyer. Right. So we really go through all these processes with our clients because nobody they never treat their business as a real asset. You know. They're so close to their business because they think of it as their child, as their baby, yes. and they're not—they're not, never really building it to sell. So when they are ready, it's all about what they need to enter the next phase of their life, not really what the business is worth. So um, I'm definitely going to read Exit Rich. I haven't yet, but um, I love everything you've said so far. What's the best way for people to get hold of this book or get more of you, Michelle? Sure, and you're in Scott. Are you in Scottsdale? I am. Yeah, so you should have my co-author Sharon Lecter on your show. I should. She's, she's in. She's in. Um, I think she's in Scottsdale, but she's in Arizona. Yeah. And um, Sharon is my co-author, so she is also the co-author of Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki, who is also in Arizona. Plus, she's written several books in Think and Grow Witch, Napoleon Hill Foundation. She also is a CPA, financial literacy expert, and the advisor to many different presidents. So yes. she writes the mentors. Um, corner after each one of our chapters. Plus, we've been endorsed by Steve Forbes and Kevin Harrington, original Shark on Shark Tank, wrote um, the foreword for us. So people can go get their hands on Exit Rich right now at exitrichbook.com. The, the um, book comes out in June. The actual launch date is in June. However, you don't have to wait till June. If you go to exitrichbook.com, pay $24.79, which includes shipping in the United States, we will email you the digital download. Plus, we will send the hardcover to your doorstep upon launch date. We'll also will give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club where there's all this video training. So if you like what you're hearing here on your podcast, Rock, there's more of this plus documents. So documents to run your business, documents to sell your business, sample, um, sample employment agreements, employee handbooks, organizational charts. Sample letter of intents, purchase agreements, closing docs, due diligence checklist. Everything you need to run and sell your business is there, not for not just for your review, but for your download too. And if you went to an attorney to try to recreate all this, it would cost you over $30,000. So we're also giving a 30-day membership into Club CEOs, which is a mastermind where we ask those transformational questions and really help business owners build a sustainable, scalable business. So when they're ready, they'll have a sellable asset. All of that for $24.79 at Exit Rich Book Club. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff, Michelle. I don't, I don't like what you're saying. I love what you're saying. <laughs> Thank you. And then your, your listeners can also text Michelle to 888-526-5750. All of my social media pops up there. So, you know, go ahead and follow me. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Our websites pop up. Our main website is SilerTucker.com. Okay. That's fantastic. That's awesome. You know, I had um, <clears throat> Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank uh, on my podcast, and I've had uh, I've shared the stage with uh, Robert Kiyosaki here in Arizona for a charity event. Started with me inviting him to one of my events, then after we had dinner, we became friends. And uh, but I have not met um, uh, you know Sharon Lecter yet. I've I've listened to her a little bit on Clubhouse. Of course, I know of her. I think she's the one that helped uh, bring out Outwitting the Devil, right? Yes, she did. She wrote several books in the Napoleon Hill Foundation. So I went in the devil, devil is one of them. And then I think she has rich women or she has several books. 
Well, the two of you are like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, you could have the both of us on your podcast at once. That would well, rock your world. That would rock back. your world. Yeah, but I would love to get her on the podcast. So maybe you can assist with that at some point. In yeah, time. we'll make an introduction. Okay. All right. Beautiful. I have another question for you is there's a lot of people that, um, again, are these entrepreneurs that want to grow and you being in that field of mergers, acquisitions and scaling and all of that. What are some of the models that you can use when you bring in an experienced individual into a company and they help grow the company? So they might get equity. They might get a, um, you know, a play of that over a period of time. Can you speak to that a little bit? What are some of the models if you're looking to go in and consult or partner with a business owner? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, like it's a little Shark Tank-ish, right? So yeah. you, uh, you get a piece of the action, but you bring value, yeah. connections, network, experience, systems, models yeah. to a young entrepreneur, and, and then you take 20% of the equity or what have you. You don't actually yeah. invest, but you bring experience. Yeah. So there's all different kinds of models out there. You've heard them all on Shark Tank. You know, you heard Mr. Wonderful. He likes to have a licensing arrangement. You know, you've heard Barbara Corkin and, and how she likes to structure deals. So there's all kinds of different models. I mean, I don't like to trade time for dollars, just like you don't like to trade time for, time for dollars. So I'm not big into, oh, pay me to consult you. <laughs> but I am big into partnering and partnering with a business owner. So I would take, I take equity. Um, and it just depends how much equity I take because it just depends upon the business. It depends how much time, energy, effort I have to put into it. Do I have to put, invest any money? You know, all of that really comes into play. Also, sometimes I don't take anything of the existing business. You know, I partner with a graphics business. They called me to sell them. Their graphics company specialize in vehicle wraps for first responders. Mm. And they were operating out of three of the six P's. They had no people. They had no processes and they had no proprietary. Uh, so they were working on their garage, husband, wife, one, one employee. And so I did invest money. Um, I actually took them out of that office, moved them into a real office, 6,000 square feet, hired 20, 25 people, also got, a, got them a COO. And I took equity in that business. However, I let them keep everything from the existing business and we started a new co, a new company because I thought that was fair. I thought that was the right thing to do. And so I let them keep all the money from that. We started a new co where we became equal partners and that's how I structured that deal. Um, I typically, you know, I might not do it that way. It depends on it, you know, just so many different things come into play, but, but that's one of the ways you can do it. So basically whatever they had existing up till that time, you, yep. you and you partook in the upside. Scaling Correct. Up, bringing Correct. In Right. And I invested in a new company, the new co, and I let them keep everything from the old company. Right. And, um, and that way it's clean going forward and we don't have any debt. We don't have any liability. There's no tax issues. So that's what we did on that particular business. But there's been other situations where I've taken 20%, I've taken 15%, sometimes even in lieu of commissions. When I sell right. a business, I might work with the buyer and take equity because the buyer's like, hey, I, I like you. I want you to be a partner in my company. And as long as it's okay with the seller, you know, as long as we're transparent, then I've done deals like that too. So now, I don't like being a partner without being a managing member. 
<laughs> that's one of my stipulations. You know, never say never, but that is one of my stipulations. You like to be a managing member? Mm -hmm. I, because if, if we butt heads, I want to be able to have the final say so, make the final decision. Right. You know, that's what Marcus Lemonis always requires too. I mean, what I say goes. <laughs> we might be 50 50, but I mean, remember what I say goes. Now, how do you get um, a small operator to, to come around on that? Is it the credibility? And you say, look, here's I think it's credibility. It's what you bring to the table and some will, some won't. And maybe you walk away from the ones that won't or you decide what's important to you. I have a list of my my negotiables and my non-negotiables. And, you know, it's just like selling a business. You got your list of sell, uh, negotiables and non-negotiables. So you just got to figure out what's important to you. Um, and then, you know, we only have so much time in a day, right? So you got to really look at what do you have time for? You know, can you really add value? Do you have the time? Do you have the energy? You know, how big uh, can you get this? Because my big thing is I'm not going to partner with a business owner if they're not going to agree to exit within three to five years or three to seven years. Right. Because I don't want to stay in it. Right. And do you, are you able to um, get them to understand that you're going to come in, you're going to look and operate at, and see what's happening, but then you may delegate a lot of the execution to your team? Absolutely. I, I'm not going to run the business for you. Right. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I help hire a COO, help get an integrator, but I'm not running a business. But I am, you know, on phone weekly phone calls. I do sit in board meetings. I do, you know, have my team at my M&A firm participate and do different things. Right. Um, so it just depends upon what that company needs, but I'm not going to be there physically, you know, and I own businesses in different states. You know, this graphics business is in Texas. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to wrap up. I've taken you much longer than I thought because this has been so juicy and so great. Thank you so much. Um, how important is it for you to have a great team around you, the people part, great accountants, lawyers, and, and all of that so yeah. that once you see the vision, you can really just trust them to execute? I tell you, it's, it's, it's everything. It's everything. You know, there's no, there's no I in team, right? So you can't do everything by yourself. You're, you're, it's not an island. You know, you don't build a business. You build people and people build a business. So it's really important, especially in, in transactions. You know, I have got great teams of accountants and attorneys and now even financial advisors where we help our clients defer taxes, mm -hmm. defer trust programs. And um, I really couldn't do any of those deals without those partners. It would be impossible. And I always like to make sure I have my team on board because attorneys can kill deals in case you didn't know that. <laughs> So I like to have deal makers, not deal breakers on my team. Plus, uh, you know, I have a team of analysts, team of brokers, team of assistants, and there's no way I could get done what I do if I didn't have the best team around me. And I'm always working on that. I'm always improving that. I'm always hiring more people. Yes, of course, of course. So listen, this has been a sensational session on Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. And you Rock Your Business. Rock your business and, and exit rich. That's right. Which is the key is don't go in until you know when and how you're going to go out is probably something you teach. Yes, I do. I teach about the whole exit strategy and how you should figure out your end game from day one of starting. Yeah, hundred percent. Michelle, 
What an honor, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. We're gonna have you back. Last last thing, because I keep on saying that, is with COVID here, what are some of the one, two, or three things that you think are opportunities coming up and things that people should stop being involved in? And, be, and things that I think people should stop what? Participating in, move away from, stop hanging on to and trying to ah. say, this is the way it used to be and, and I wanna continue to operate yeah. that you know, I think that's a really good question. And before I wrote Exit Rich, I wrote Sell Your Business for What It's Worth in 2013. And back then, it used to be 95% of startups would go out of business. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019, 2020, I did the exact same research. And Rock, you're probably not going to believe this, but the business landscape has flip-flopped even before COVID. So now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business. But out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer, 70% of them will go out of business. 70, a big seven zero. So the number one reason for that is lack of aim. Aim, A-I-M, Business owners stop doing what I call innovating and marketing. You always have to innovate and market. Aim, always innovate and market. So what do you let go of? You let go of what's not working. <laughs> it's back to what business am I in? What do we do really well? What business should I be in? And you really got to pivot and you got to let go of the things that don't work for you. The reason that 70% of businesses are going out of business is because they're stuck in their old ways. They want to keep doing things the way they've always done them. And guess what? You're either growing or you're dying. There's no in between. So you got to let go of the way you've always done it. And you got to figure out new ways. You got to innovate. You got to pivot. And um, otherwise, you're, you're going to go out of business. You're going to become a statistic. And I hate to see that for any business owner. Yeah. Michelle, thank you so much for spending um, this quality time with us and for our listeners. What a uh, treasure chest of information. And make sure that you get your book, Exit Rich, and everything that Michelle mentioned that comes with it for 25 bucks. That's absolute deal. Sensational. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's like two meals at McDonald's. You can afford it. <laughs> It'll be the best money you spend if you're an entrepreneur guaranteed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rock. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you. I think we rocked it, Rock. <laughs> I think we rocked it out of the house again out and again. House. Thank you. So much. <laughs> Thank you. All right, you're listening to a session of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. I'm your host, Rock Thomas, and I am your millionaire mentor, and we'll see you on the next episode. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.